Welcome to Rockin' Your Priors. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, what don't we know about patriarchy? So this is a podcast for people who are scrambling for research ideas, maybe third-year PhD students. Let me share some important questions which existing research cannot answer. So here are my nine questions. The joint families curtail alcoholism and wife beating. The male majority workplaces suppress female employment. Can gender quotas in male majority workplaces reduce sexism? Why is the American Southeast so patriarchal? Does the rule of law reduce brutish masculinity? Why are there so few female leaders in West Africa? When does religious diversity tighten patriarchal controls? And why is female employment so high amongst British Indians, but not British Pakistanis or Bangladeshis? Okay, so let me elaborate in full. First of all, on alcoholism. So my question here is, do joint families in India curtail alcoholism and wife beating? So alcohol abuse is the single largest predictor of domestic violence in India. This strong correlation holds worldwide. Not all incidents of violence involve alcohol, But when men drink, they are much more likely to inflict life-threatening violence. Curbing alcohol consumption saves lives. South Africa's ban reduced violence by about 20%. It led to an estimated 77 fewer homicides, 790 fewer assaults, and 105 fewer rapes per week. Alcohol abuse, nuclear families and gender-based violence are all more common in South as compared to North India. I believe these three facts are connected. Joint families may police their sons, prevent overconsumption and thereby indirectly suppress gender-based violence. Joint families are four times more common in the North than South India. And so that indirect mechanism might explain why the most patriarchal parts of India paradoxically have less gender-based violence. To test this, you could control for joint families or measure exogenous bans on alcohol. Bear in mind, however, that these in India have been poorly enforced. Right. Oh, and let me add another point. Women in Christian-majority countries are 11% more likely to have been assaulted by their partners than those in Muslim-majority countries. I wonder, does that correlation disappear when you control for alcohol abuse? If so, that would be one of the most important, positive, protective effects of Islam. Okay, next question. Do male majority workplaces suppress female employment? So wherever men predominate, women face a gauntlet of hostile scrutiny. In male majority undergraduate classes, men speak for longer, interrupt more frequently, and are much more assertive. Lone women lack influence. Even when women achieve top grades in physical sciences, the male majority rarely rates them as knowledgeable or wants to study together. In entirely male municipal Italian councils, female mayors are less likely to survive their term. Anticipating low support, women are often reluctant to put themselves forward as leaders of male majority teams. So in Norway and North America, male majority workplaces hemorrhage female talent. And that fact alone explains STEM's exceptionally leaky pipeline. Now, in countries with low female labour market participation, most workplaces will be male-dominated. I wonder, does this suppress 
female labour market participation and advancement, that organisational culture. I put it to you. Third question. Can gender quotas in male-majority workplaces reduce sexism? So suppose the Indian civil service introduced gender quotas. Would that reduce hostile sexism by enabling women's strength in numbers? I suspect so. Uh, You can see my previous uh, podcasts on male-majority workplaces and female friendships, both of which are hugely important. Okay, fourth, this is a big question. Why is the American Southeast so patriarchal? So Southeastern states tend to have more gun violence, more intimate partner violence, higher maternal mortality, weaker abortion rights, fewer legal protections, more women in working poverty, less female representation, and more male dominance of the labor market. In South Carolina, domestic abusers are not required to give up their guns. Louisiana's gender pay gap is 69%. The same as South Korea, and that's the highest in the OECD. So why is this? Is it oil? Because male, but not female, wages substantially increased after early 20th century oil discoveries. Or could it be settler origins? Gender roles and attitudes are more liberal in US counties that historically hosted a larger share of immigrants from countries with higher female labor force participation, suffrage, and financial rights. What about religiosity? The gender pay gap has closed most sluggishly in states with higher reported attendance at places of worship. Ethnic diversity, a legacy of slavery, may have also dampened the provision of public goods. This would explain why one of the first places to introduce universal preschool was Portland, Oregon, overwhelmingly white. Uh, Perceived threats may have also affected gun culture. If you click onto my blog at dralisevans.com forward slash blog, you'll find a a bunch of resources. Uh, The Georgetown Institute for Women, Peace and Security, they have a global index of this and also a US specific index uh, looking at inclusion, justice and security. It's super great if you're interested in the US. Okay, fifth question. Does rule of law reduce brutish masculinity? In lawless environments, men may act thuggish so others know not to mess with them. So after the fall of communism, rule of law collapsed. Living in the shadow of organised crime, working class men have learned to project a brutal dominance. You know, a real Russian man is strong, tough and patriotic. Street street youths upload videos of their fights. They try to impress peers with their aggressive physical prowess. And older men forge ties, uh, boozing and barbecuing. That that fraternal capital is also the lifeblood of successful commerce, you know, for recovering debts, protecting properties, settling disputes, obtaining tax exemptions, official permissions, perhaps even damaging your competitors. So to the extent that recent privatization fueled violent entrepreneurship, it may have exacerbated masculine bravado, intimate partner violence and unequal caregiving. A co-evolutionary process between religion, conquest, commerce and institution building may nurture a more polite masculinity, as we can see in Scotland. So Highland clans were pastoral, violent and honour-bound. Protestantism was adopted by the Reformation Parliament. Draconian Kirk sessions, that is local church networks, promoted marital monogamy, hard work, frugality and temperance. Sexual infidelity jeopardised the godly household. Sinners were sternly punished. Enlightenment clubs in Edinburgh championed civility. The judicial system clamped down on elite violence. It became illegal to issue a dueling challenge. And as men gained confidence in the rule of law, 
they increasingly resolved their grievances at court. The rising commercial middle class opposed thugs. They championed civility and they gained status through individual economic success, not clan membership. So they were aghast by violent savages, in inverted commas. They wanted the rule of law for their businesses. So how could you test this hypothesis more broadly? I would chart the effects of improved state capacity. So look at the UAE. Uh, you know, had an ancestral pastoralism. Compare Mumbai and Delhi. Look at Soviet Central Asia. Another great contender would be Botswana, which again had an ancestral pastoralism and an honor culture. Marriage markets also matter. In places with weak rule of law, parents may look for tough men who can protect their daughters. Uh, and here's an excerpt from Desperately Seeking Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, Girls want gentlemen like Shah Rukh. But society forces you to need a bodybuilder type, a guy who looks intimidating to thugs and Romeos. Okay, here's my sixth question. Did Christianity curb Norse polygamy? So Norsemen were once brutal raiders and rapists. Outbound violence may have been encouraged by polygamy because men without wives sought to ensnare their own. Women in polygamous societies tend to marry younger, have much older husbands. Early marriage is usually associated with less autonomy, less decision-making, and greater vulnerability to violence. When married polygamously, women are also much more likely to report physical and emotional abuse. So I wonder, did Norsemen's outbound violence dissipate with Christians' insistence on marital monogamy? This is plausible, I think, because within Africa, young men who belong to polygamous groups are quicker to resort to violence. And that polygyny falls with proximity to Catholic missions, though I accept there's an issue of endogeneity here. Seventh question, why are there so few female leaders in West Africa? Is it culture, colonialism or ethnic divisions? You can see my previous podcast on that. Eight. When does religious diversity tighten patriarchal controls? So religious endogamy necessitates strict restrictions on female mobility and sexuality. North Indians are especially opposed to interreligious marriage. Such opposition, combined with religious diversity, may help explain the persistence of purdah. North Indians are much more likely to be highly religious, pray daily, espouse Hindu nationalism, and think interreligious marriage is totally unacceptable. 85% of men in central India say it's very important to stop interreligious marriage. Opposition is far lower in the South, only 35%. So what explains this divergence? My prayer is that in places where Muslim rule was longer lasting and more concentrated, i.e. the North, Um, A narrative can be constructed about a Muslim threat and media cultivates fears of love jihad. So in the early 1900s in Uttar Pradesh, Hindu publicists broadcast unsubstantiated allegations of rape, aggression and abductions, conversions and forced marriages by Muslim men. These fears continue today and may exacerbate patriarchy. Now here is my ninth and final question. And it concerns... Diversity amongst immigrant communities. So why is female employment so high amongst British Indians, but not British 
Pakistanis or Bangladeshis. 74% of British Indian women are in work, compared with 39% of British Pakistanis and Bangladeshis. Now, that divergence is surprising since female employment is similarly low across South Asia. And understanding the causes of this divergence may help shed light on idiosyncratic bottlenecks back in South Asia. So possible hypotheses include that economic security, state capacity and physical safety minimize reliance on caste. So with less concern for jati and dogami, women seize economic opportunities when they're in the UK. Another possibility is that Hindus have reduced fear of love jihad in the UK. So those are my research questions. If you're interested in any of them, please do get in touch and I'll happily suggest useful readings. Do also check out uh, on my blog page, I've got a, a long, long list of recommended books and papers on global gender history. And I'll, I'll try to update the, this list of questions on my blog site. So thank you so much for listening to Rocking Our Prize. Those are just a couple of ideas, things that I don't think we know, but they're big questions about patriarchy. And it would be fantastic if we could work out the answer. Thank you so much.